Adulting may not sound like fun, but when you're on a county wine tour in the hills of Tuscany, it's not so bad. You're listening to Travel FOMO, a podcast for people self-diagnosed with wanderlust. This is the Travel FOMO podcast, and my name is Hillary Halton, and I am here with my husband and my wine connoisseur, and I can say that now, Jamin Halton. <laughs> I don't know about connoisseur. I still think I'm a drinker level. <laughs> you do drink wine. There you go. <laughs> so that works. I know what different wines are now. <laughs> I'm not sure that that rises to connoisseur. <laughs> I can say something other than this is a white. That's right. (laughs) This is red. (laughs) Well, we learned a lot while we were in Florence, Italy. That's true. And a lot of that came from the Chianti wine tour that we went on. Yeah. Great tour. A lot of fun. Yes. You guys, we're in the seventh season of the Travel FOMO podcast. We are talking all about Mediterranean Europe. And today it's all about our time in Florence, Italy. Honestly, whenever I think of Florence, I think of a place that is very artistic, um, somewhat romantic. It's really got romantic vibes. Um, I think that's when I like stand out there like on the Ponto Vecchio Bridge and the sun is setting and everybody goes out for sunsets in Florence and sits around and it's just, I don't know, it's got good vibes. What do you think is more romantic? The Ponto Vecchio Bridge? In Florence mm-hmm. or the Spanish Steps in Rome? I honestly think the Pontificio Bridge. What do you think is more romantic, husband? Um, I would I would agree. I think I think the Pontificio Bridge, yeah. like being there with everybody just hanging out and watching the sunset and that whole thing is yeah yeah yeah. It's they're both great though. Mm-hmm, for sure, both wonderful. Also, Pontificio is very social, super social tons of people right there on the bridge (laughs) and sitting all around it and on it and it's yeah it's like just the masses come out yeah people lining both sides of the river and the bridge yeah like yeah it's pretty lively pretty loud actually Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny that i call it romantic when it's so loud and tons of people but it just feels like everyone knows like hey this is where we all want to be this is yeah. the desirable place to be right now. It's also very touristy. Florence gets a ton of tourists. Yep. A surprising amount, actually, because I kind of think of Rome. Well, you said this. You said, think about when you talk to people who've been to Italy, how many of them are going to say Rome? They've been to Rome. And how many of them are going to say they've been to Florence? And, you know, you kind of think more people have been to Rome. Yeah, I think I think there's probably very few people that have been to Florence that have not also been to Rome. Right. And uh, and not any that have been the other way around. Like, right. Yeah. Not any that have been to Florence but have never been to Rome. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. We came straight from Venice and mm-hmm. it was actually a really simple, simple little train ride. Yeah. That was a nice train. No changes. Like, it was a nice just train. Just get on and ride the train. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was really nice. Our Airbnb was kind of right in the thick of everything. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was a good little spot um, geographically. And we had dinner. It was really good. Um, it was a place that was highly recommended. And we went and um, they kind of set us in what felt like the alley. Like, it did. <laughs> it kind of like, felt like the backyard like somebody's like back patio right like it's funny in italy i feel like anywhere that a restaurant can like 
commandeer a piece of real estate, they'll stick a table on it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's definitely what had happened here. There were a few tables out there. So it was like intentional. We weren't like Lady in the Tramp behind the restaurant, but it, was, it was a little bit like that, that way. <laughs> <laughs> so true. But uh, really good food. We went out and that first night to watch the sunset in Ponte Vecchio. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really just amazing enjoyed walking around like there's live music yeah. playing mm-hmm. uh, there was a guy playing a bucket that was that? crazy tell people about that yeah so there was this little band playing and they had a singer and a guy with kind of a guitar ukulele kind of thing and then they had someone playing what essentially would be like a bass guitar but it was a bucket like a plastic five gallon bucket yeah and it had a broomstick attached to it and a string yeah and he was plucking that string and playing the bass with it yeah like he was literally finding the notes on this piece of string yeah and figuring out the right notes to play and he was playing it and it sounded good it did sound good that was it crazy was, it, it was, was an really orange bucket like, yeah it reminded me of like the orange five gallon buckets you you buy at lowe's right yeah or home depot yeah so just crazy. like a like an old bucket and a broomstick and a piece of string ready to go yeah that was crazy you can actually see that on the video that we posted on youtube you can see this guy just like playing a bucket like it's (laughs) no big deal so crazy well and then we made our way across the bridge and because we're in italy we had to have gelato yeah we're like faithful gelato (laughs) lovers as is most anyone who comes to italy (laughs) i remember us having a conversation before we got into italy and you were like I know that we only go out to eat in each city. We try to only eat out once and we Mm -hmm. only do dessert one time, but I think we need to do that differently in Italy Mm -hmm. and have gelato all the time. And that's what we did. Yeah. And it was a good choice. We didn't regret it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was awesome. And we also walked it off. Oh my gosh. Yes. Lots of steps, lots of heat. Yes. I feel like you just sweat it off. Yes. Yeah, yeah, so I do not feel guilty about that. Nope. But we did try this really cool place that night. Um, it was right across the river from the Uffizi Gallery. Mm-hmm. And it was a place called Cantina del Gelato. And it was a hole-in-the-wall place that it was like kind of outside of all of the touristy area. Like yeah. there wasn't people out there. Mm-mm. And we were the only two to walk in at that time. Yeah, I was kind of doubting it because I was like, man, there's nobody in here. Yeah. (laughs) And then you walk in and you realize like, if I remember correctly, it was like a stone ceiling and walls and everything. It felt very cave-like. Yes. A little bit. And there's this little Italian guy back there with his like nice black chef's shirt on. Mm -hmm. And he's, you look and you think you're going to see all this gelato. And what you really see is a bunch of silver canisters where there's gelato down there somewhere, but you don't get to see the gelato. You just get to know what the different flavors are. Yep. And then he'll whip it out. And it's almost, it reminded me of like when my mom used to make homemade ice cream. My mom and my aunts would make homemade ice cream every 4th of July and it always be in a silver canister and you had to open the lid to see what was inside. Yeah. And to see which flavor was which and everything. And it was just like that. Like he pulls out these long silver canisters and he dips out this like gelato and you don't know exactly what it's going to be like before you <laughs> buy it. But it was incredible and totally worth it. And um, do you remember what kind you got? You got like a really 
interesting kind. I think I got I got two flavors, and I think I got like a chocolate chip, and then I got a dark chocolate. Yes. And the dark chocolate was almost black. It was. And it was really good. Like it was a very dark chocolate. Um, probably the darkest chocolate that I've ever had in like ice cream form. Uh-huh. Um, because it's usually more milk chocolate, milk chocolate and like sweeter. But this was definitely a very dark chocolate. It was yeah. really good, especially alongside the chocolate chip. Like the two went well together. Yeah. And then like I remember getting um, Fior de Latte, which is basically milk, a milk <laughs> flavor, which I had been loving. And so that was like it was excellent. And then I also paired that with um, yogurt, a flavor called yogurt. Oh, that's right. And it was like different. It had like the tang of yogurt and everything, but it was good. Like no, no complaints. It was really good. You know, they always say if you see a gelato place where like it's all like piled up, like mounded up really high, don't go in there. Uh-huh. And because it's not yes. as fresh. And this this was definitely proved that opinion that yes. like if you go in this place where it's down in little silver canisters, you can't really see it. It may not look as like appealing and catch the eye as much, but the gelato's amazing. Yes. Yeah. And it's not all melted. It's like yes. down there in the like the real frozen area. So it's like I, yeah. that matters to me with my ice cream. <laughs> I really do not like, like melted ice cream. I don't like soft ice cream. Well, then we were able to like just walk out like right outside the gelato shop and walk to the river. And we were kind of by ourselves because it was a little removed from everything. But yeah. just look out across the river and and eat our gelato. I know. And we had, I remember looking at the Uffizi Gallery mm-hmm. and there's like a party going on. That's right. Kind of like in the gallery, but also in this kind of looked like a secret place down below near mm-hmm. closer to the river. But it didn't look like you necessarily could get access to anybody could get access to. And it looked like this really posh party happening. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's so cool. And yeah, it was just that was a really sweet sweet night you know yeah yeah. just another night in Italy just another night in Italy (laughs) well in the next day um was time for a run yes which we do every morning yeah first morning in every city first morning in a new city time to get up and go for a run but you your allergies were really smacking you pretty hard I was down and out and so you did a sleep I did a sleep day again because we'd just been in Venice and I had skipped out on the run there. That's right. And you were loyal two times in a row without me. Yeah. I like, I really did not want to get up and go out, especially by myself. But I knew that the run that we had planned for Florence was going to be pretty great. And so I basically ran past the Duomo, then across the river, like across the Ponte Vecchio, and around kind of this this neighborhood and park, you kind of run around up to the top of this hill where there's another park where there's another replica of the Statue of David, only it's bronze. Oh, okay. Uh, and it overlooks the city. And the view from up there is incredible. So good. Just incredible. Yeah. And there's footage of all that. If you go out and watch the the YouTube video, you'll be able to see kind of what I'm talking about. But yeah, I was really glad I did it because we didn't get we didn't have 
a ton of time there. We had a ton of stuff we wanted to do. Yes. So it was kind of the one chance to go to that park. And I was glad. I was glad when it was all said and done that I'd done it. Yes. And I tried to run through another garden, but it was Italy and it's locked. Oh, right. <laughs> like there was another park that I wanted to run through, but it was all locked up. And in France, when we encountered that problem, France and Spain, they usually would be unlocked pretty early on. But this one, I think I saw a sign that it wasn't going to open until like 1030 or something. Oh, so wow. It was just like, okay, run back home. Yeah. But it uh, it ended up being a, a pretty good run. Yeah, yeah, it sounded like a hard one though. I remember you saying like that uphill stuff was in serious business. Yeah, getting up to that park was a uh, was brutal. It was a battle to yeah. get up there, but impressive. Gotta work off that gelato, I guess. That's right. I definitely <laughs> there was no way I could have done it. You guys, I was sick. I mean, at this point, I'm gonna be really honest with you guys. This was like 2022 June. COVID is still around. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to think to myself, oh, dear Lord, do I have COVID while we're traveling around? Like, I'm just like starting to kind of like freak out because I'm really starting to feel it. And I was starting to feel like congestion and like a little bit of respiratory stuff. Yeah. And that could be like, it could be allergies, but it also could not be allergies. And so I was having to ask myself some serious questions and like, am I going to go to the doctor and like have them test me and find out like should I do that like how serious is this and I did know to some degree it was allergies though because I think I was sneezing a ton yeah so it kind of really started to relate back to like and I could tell by it like it was the season and it was like just a bunch of stuff that I was like yeah this all like really does relate to allergies but then a lot of people think that too and it ends up being COVID yeah but I remember too, we talked a lot about like whether or not you had a temperature and you never felt like you did. Right. That's and true. So we felt like we felt like it was probably yeah. just allergies. But And I started looking up some natural remedies. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what could I do? And I started it was here in Florence that I bought honey. I already had some sea salt and I, so I had been gargling some sea salt and eating honey like a teaspoon a day or something like that. It's supposed to help with congestion and some of that stuff. And it like started working, but it took, it took a minute. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was like, oh man, but that's, that's like a freaky feeling. Cause you're like, am I going to get kicked out of the country? <laughs> you know? And also fortunately, most of the stuff we wanted to do was all happening like outside right like we're just going to hang out outside all the time right well and we did have a, a ton to do that day yeah. that you ended up doing like you only you really didn't even sleep in that long because i think our like we went on a walking tour and i think that walking tour started at like 10 o'clock or something another free walking tour another free walking tour and we keep finding that the free walking tours are worth every penny yes <laughs> you really just you pay a tip And the tip is expected and you pay the amount that you think that it's worth. I consistently remember going into those thinking like, okay, this, you know, it's this long. So I'll give them this much at the end of the tour if they do a decent job. And I think I always ended up giving more than the number that I originally had in my head Mm. because they were so good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. 
And so they told us a little, they told us a lot about the history of Florence. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to share some of that right now. And I'm going to give Jamin full discretion to jump in and correct me because he (laughs) retains information so good. So despite whatever notes I might have, (laughs) Jamin's memory is always better than the notes that I take in the moment, which is hilarious. So Florence really started booming around the 1300s. And there was a economical boom due in large part to like the creation of wool that was happening there. The Black Plague hit Florence, though, in 1348. And I really made a note of that because rewind, you guys should go back and listen to our Edinburgh episode because we talk a lot about the Black Plague and how it impacted Edinburgh and Scotland. And it is fascinating, but it also impacted all of Europe. So Edinburgh wasn't the only place to get impacted. You know, we talk about Florence being really touristy. One of the things that they threw out is that there are 75 different museums in Florence. That's amazing. That's a ton and really tells you a lot about like, okay, well, that makes sense why it's so touristy because there's so many museums to see. Some of the things they also talked about a lot about was the Medici family, which you know a lot about already. Yeah. So the the Medici's, if you are are not familiar, there's several like there's a, a really popular Netflix show on about them and they're really influential in Florence and really all of Italy and really into the Renaissance and become a big part of that. So the, the Medici had money and found all kinds of ways to make more money. They were bankers. And so they would lend money to people. And that was a really controversial thing with the Catholic church at the time, um, charging interest. Uh, the church kind of went back and forth on that a lot and they uh, they referred to it as usury and so um, it was something that would kind of be condemned by the pope on and off and because it was like using people and like benefiting from others right so they were you know they were giving out loans and i mean basically kind of creating like the the initial way that banks make their money now that's crazy. And so, you know, they would do loans and charge interest and that's how they got rich and made their money. And they were uh, generous with the people of Florence at times, depending upon which Medici was in charge at the time. And so they kind of went through ups and downs where the people of Florence really loved them. And then that Medici would die and another would take over and he, he would do some stuff they didn't like. And, they got exiled from the city a few times. Um, they ended up wanting to change policy of the Catholic Church, and they ended up with several of uh, Medici family members um, becoming popes at different times. And so this just really influential family, and they are all over the city of Florence. Uh, several, and you see, like, their symbol, their family's yeah, guild. Yeah, they're, uh, so there's all kinds of guilds that were present in Florence and, and the Medici's seal is on a lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of, of buildings. Yeah. A lot of buildings and a lot of statues and monuments and stuff. There's stuff kind of all over Florence, which our our tour guide pointed out to us when we would come across it. And then you really do start kind of seeing it everywhere, seeing that symbol on all kinds of stuff. And they even ended up, um, funding a lot of artists, um, you know, Michelangelo and, 
and things like that. And these these wealthy families would fund these artists. And really, that's how the Renaissance came about, was these these really wealthy families being willing to fund these kind of art projects that would happen in these buildings and, and really the beautification of, of their cities. And it was really interesting to, to really hear about them and, and see physically the stuff that, that you hear all the stories and legends about on this tour to have that pointed out that like, here it is like, here's their first palace that they built and here's the next one and and just on and on yeah. and on it was so fascinating well in one of those palaces they pointed out how like the bottom floor was a little bit wider and um kind of came out a little bit more than the middle floor and then the top floor was a little smaller and a little more narrow and it gave the illusion that it was even taller and more grand than it was <laughs> yeah which i thought was like a cool illusion um mm-hmm. and and then the part about like Michelangelo, I thought was really interesting. Would he have been discovered if it hadn't have been for them? Right. That's fascinating. Anything else about the Medici's? Because that's a really interesting family. Uh, well, they were they were behind the um, the funding for the Duomo, the dome of the Duomo. Oh, okay, which yeah. has something that like hadn't ever been seen before. Something like that had never been built before, and so. You know, they didn't design it, but they they were very instrumental in in making it happen. Yeah. Which was really cool. And where we went, like, next. Yes. The Duomo in Florence, you guys, is a big deal. Yes. It is one of the big things you have to go do if you you go to Florence. For sure. Just kind of want to preface that for, like, you know, (laughs) if you are planning a trip to Florence, it's something you're going to want to spend at least half a day on, probably. Yeah. Yeah, so. I agree. It's not super expensive to tour it and see different parts of it, um, but it does take time, and you do need to make reservations and get yeah. a pass and stuff. So yeah, and the they're they're timed entry tickets, and mm-hmm. so that's really important because it is really crowded. A yes. lot of people move through there, but yes. it's amazing to see. Yeah, we ended up doing a Ghiberti pass, which was like the Baptistry of San Giovanni the um museum uh and then the cathedral with the underground santa uh santa riparta mm-hmm. santa, yeah. santa riparada um which is basically like this old cathedral it, it feels like you're going down into a crypt you can get access to um the the dome itself yeah um so there's other things you can do that are even more extensive than what we did in the museum they have a lot of the original facade and like artwork yes. and, and things like that are actually housed in the museum. So you can go there and see it. And the, the architect behind the, the Domo, the Duomo was Brunelleschi. And in, inside the museum, they kind of go into detail of like how it was designed and how it was built. And it's something that was started and they didn't know how they were going to build it which I think is fascinating. fascinating. They're like, we're going to have to figure it out because the scale of it, it was so large. They were like, we're going to do this, but we don't know how. Yeah. And they ended up pulling it off, which is incredible and just a crazy story to me. The way he did it was like using fishbone spiral with bricks, like using bricks and creating like a fishbone that spiraled. And that's how it like 
stays kind Mm -hmm. of. Um, I just thought that it's fascinating because like if you go and look like there's nothing holding it up like it's all it's <laughs> and it was one of the first domes right yes it's kind of crazy yeah and was the largest for a long 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 period of time yeah that's uh, just awesome. a kind of an engineering marvel so even if you're not super into churches and stuff but you're just into architecture um, it's really really incredible building yeah I remember being so impressed by the facade and like there are different pieces of it that like didn't they the outside of it was redone in like the 1800s or something like that I, I feel like I think so yeah and they moved some of the original pieces inside yes into the museum mm-hmm. and so you can go into the museum to see some of those I will say the museum surprised me how much I liked it it was pretty cool it was cool. And they have the original doors to the baptistry mm. are in there. These yeah. huge golden doors. Huge. And they are and just intricate scenes in every square of these doors. Yeah. And they're just massive and huge and, and incredible to see. Yeah. Well, and what makes the museum so cool, too, is that you get to see a lot of pieces of the outside of the Duomo. You get to see it up close. It would be hard to appreciate those from way down below on the ground. But when you go into the museum, you get to actually see them up close and you get to see like, oh, this is Adam and the story of Adam and Eve. And oh, there's another place where they have the other biblical stories unfolding. And you can appreciate those. And then you can go outside and see them on the front facade of the Duomo. Yes. Yeah. Well, and they had that little rooftop part of the museum as well, oh, where that was cool. you get to go. You, It's like four stories of museum and you go out on this little rooftop and you see the Duomo in front of you because it's just across the street from the Duomo. Yeah. And so you see the dome and you see all of this that, that you've just learned so much about. And it's all there. And while we were there, like there were a couple of people out there when we first went out and they went back in and then it was just us for a while. And some more people came out and we were just able to hang out there by ourselves with this amazing view. Unobstructed views of the dome of the Duomo with nobody else there. I kind of thought we'd get out there and that, that would be where everyone was and that it would be packed, but it was empty. Yeah, that was yeah. crazy. When we actually went through all of the the Duomo, that was not necessarily part of the walking tour we went on. Right, yeah. But but I will say one other thing about our time at the Duomo is we went to the baptistry, and I was surprised mm. that the baptistry was disconnected from the Duomo itself. Mm, so you've yeah. got this church, but then like the baptistry isn't part of it. You weren't allowed to go into the church, so you couldn't go into the Duomo until you were a Christian. Yeah. And so you would convert and then be baptized in the baptistry, the separate building, and then you could go into the church. Crazy. And and the the baptistry itself was this is this amazing elaborate building that they still baptize people in. I think it costs a lot yeah. <laughs> to get yes. baptized in there. Um, but they still use it for that. Um on the special occasion that someone pays a lot to do it. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty incredible. That is incredible. And then one of the other places that they took us and we're talking about a lot on this tour was um, Orson, Orson Michelle Church. Yes. One of the first 3D sculptures is there. And, um, you know, when you think about what art 
was like used for a lot in that time was storytelling. When you think of a time where most everyone is illiterate, there are very few people that can read. Yeah. And so they would create art essentially to tell stories. Yeah. And uh, if you think about being back in a time where you couldn't read and you're just kind of having to picture these things that people are telling you and you've got like two dimensional art to look at and then someone introduces you to a 3D sculpture that looks like it's alive, just how like mind blowing yeah. that would be. Yeah. And it's it's just incredible when you like really take it into the context of what it was. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine seeing something like that for the first time without access to anything else. And then you see that it would, it just had to be mind blowing. Yeah. I think so too. I thought that was really interesting and such a consistent thing that we saw throughout Europe was Mm -hmm. there would be stained glass windows and it would be just incredible stories on the, you know, biblical stories on these stained glass windows. And then someone would reiterate on a tour, they would say, the reason these stories are there in visual form is because people couldn't read and they had to be able to tell them scripture in a way that they could remember. Yeah. And that's why they do that. And I just think that's really interesting. I don't think a lot of people know that. No, like I don't think so either. And when you think about like art, especially like being built into a building. Yeah. If you think of, if you think about like how interesting would it be if the buildings that we built now still told stories yeah still told readily apparent stories Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of like stuff that gets designed and once it's explained to you kind of in depth you're kind of like oh yeah i guess i can kind of see that but if it was in a way like this where it's like no this is obvious this is what it is and you can walk through something and learn something from a building yeah it's a it's just it's what makes europe so much different to me than going other places. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. If you're listening to this, you like a good adventure. And if you like a good adventure, you might enjoy following the fights. It all started with Mars and Ashley's bold decision to travel full-time in their converted sprinter van. Fast forward six years, they've seen all 50 states and backpack countries like Thailand and Guatemala. It's been one daring decision after another. And now they're braving another big adventure, building a creative retreat in the Colorado Rockies. Find out what life could be like when you take risks. Follow the fights on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. One of the other really popular places in Florence is the Piazza della Signoria. And it is the oldest square in Florence. Um, And surprisingly, it actually looks like one of the newer squares. Um, It was renewed in 1895, which is really recently in (laughs) Europe's scale of timelines somebody i I guess the the tour guide was telling us that they call it disneyland because (laughs) it's not very authentic looking to them which i thought was really funny (laughs) there is an open air museum that is free for people to 
come see you just kind of walk up and it's right there and you will not miss it it yeah. is it's got sculptures it's got these beautiful this beautiful arched awning covering it and these sculptures one of the ones that really sticks out is one of um, Medusa's head being cut off and it's really kind of like you just look and you go oh what's this one? Oh my gosh and it's Medusa's head being cut off it includes the artist's face though on it if you look closely and and if you look at the back side of the helmet on that one, there's like the artist face, which was like really kind of like, whoa, that's <laughs> fun fact. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And like until someone points it out to you that it's there, you don't see it. Right. But then once they do, it's all you can see. Yeah. I feel like you hear that a lot, too, with different artists, how they like incorporate their own face. Mm-hmm. Which I just think is interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really interesting too to like put yourself in it. Well, there's also the Palazzo Vecchio, which is uh, the old palace. Um, the mayor has a room inside that palace, and um, it's actually a really cool. We went inside um, that one, and yeah. it's uh, it's pretty cool. And then there's a replica of the Statue of David that's just outside the palace. This sculpture was one of the only biblical sculptures um, in this vicinity. I guess they considered it a symbol against the Medici family because they were seen as Goliath. And so to have like David as a sculpture is like kind of a big deal, which wasn't it Michelangelo who did David? I believe so. Yes. So you've got Michelangelo's David (laughs) going against in some way, kind of going against the Medici family who gave him his start. Right. Yes. And some people think it's the Medici. Some people think that it's Rome. Because he faces uh, yeah, right. he faces south toward Rome, and so it's this David Goliath thing against against Rome. Well, and the original um, David statue is actually in the Academia Gallery, mm-hmm. but it's still there in Florence. It's just in the Academia Gallery. So what you see here in this plaza is a replica of David's sculpture. Yes. So one of the things I love about Italy is the public drinking fountains that they have. And they, you can get drinking water for free in Italy. So easy. People yes. complain that you have to buy water in the restaurants, but you should know you can get it for free pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Just take a bottle with you. Just bring your own bottle. And in Italy, some of those fountains have sparkling water. Yes. Which is amazing. Yeah. And, and really good. Like, yes. And these aren't always like the most beautiful fountains. They're like literally like a water fountain. Like you think of maybe not really like at a kid's school, but like, you know, it's like a fountain. You go press a button and water comes out. Right. Yeah. So, it, but this is one. There was one there in that palazzo that I thought was like, oh, this is really helpful. And it had sparkling water. And I was like, that's nice. But it's literally built into the wall of the palace. Yes. Which is blows my mind that they would cut out a wall right. or cut out part of the wall of the palace to put in a water fountain. Yeah, it is kind of mind blowing that they would do that. But they did. And they the did. water's good. And people <laughs> love it. I mean, it's in exactly the right spot. Like it's perfect. So and it's I just think free sparkling water is the big perk of Italy. So um and also <laughs> right there you'll find the Uvizi um Uffizi Gallery mm-hmm. is right there too. Um, it's really close to the, all of this is also really close to the Ponte Vecchio Bridge, which is beautiful. Yes, very yeah. scenic. The Uffizi Gallery is the most visited museum in Italy. I just want to like stop for a second and think about that. 
Yeah, not in Florence, in Italy. In Italy. Yeah. Meaning that it has more visitors than the Vatican does. Yeah. The Vatican Museum and the Sistine Chapel and St. Peter's Basilica and all that stuff in Rome. Like, no, the Uffizi Gallery has more visitors than that every year. Yeah, that's just incredible. Yeah. Florence is really cool because things didn't feel too spread out from my perspective. It was it felt yeah. pretty tight. Yeah, like it's all kind of right there. You're not you're not walking very far at all. Yeah. Um and then after after our walking tour, we went to uh the Mercato Central Firenze. Yes. Um so it's like the central market and so there's a big established building that is the market with all kinds of stuff inside it, but all around that um People set up shops under these awnings and tents and booths, yeah. like kind of surrounding it. All kinds of Italian leather stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the market for a bag or a belt or a wallet or anything Italian leather, yes. it's all there. It smells like Italian leather, which yes. is like kind of incredible. And so we walked all through that, saw a lot of that. That Had was lunch really cool. In the market. Um, so steak is really big in Florence, Florentine steak. Yes. And so it's a massive steak and we were, we really wanted to get Florentine steak. And I asked like, Hey, does this, is this sign correct? Like you have to order it in this size. Like there's not a smaller version. And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll take it. It's a 1.5 kilo steak. Oh my gosh. Which is. A little over three pounds. Yep. Of steak. Of steak. And it's it's a T-bone steak, essentially, very very thick, like yeah. probably like three inches thick. And they cook it. Um, they cook it medium rare, and they slice it. They slice it up into slices and kind of pile it around the T-bone on a plate and put really thick. Um, salt on it Mm -hmm. and like like a sea salt almost and it is amazing it's really cool it's like the florence is known for the steak yes yeah the florentine steak is a huge thing there it's expensive and it's a lot of steak and so i started to not do it i'm so glad i did this steak was incredible well, and this was not a steakhouse. Why don't you tell them more about the actual scene of this moment? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just in the middle of this market. There's two levels of this market. So it's inside up on the second level. And it's really just this U-shaped kind of bar almost. Yeah. It's not this fancy thing. You just sit at this bar and have your steak. And it was really, really good. You had um, tartar there, right? I had some meat as well. I had some beef tartar. And you might be thinking, it's kind of like tuna tartar. It is, except it's beef, guys. <laughs> and looking back, I'm like, oh, that was really raw, some raw beef that I yeah, had. Like not cooked at all. No. None. Like it was completely red, cold. Yeah, cold. Red, cold meat. Um, and it comes stacked just like you would imagine tuna tartare if you were at, you know, eating sushi or something. I tasted a lot more olive oil even than meat, but um, I didn't get sick, which is no, kind yeah. of amazing. You know, I was like in a market, like I'm just like sitting here at like this bar and I can see like the mop and the where they mop the kitchen <laughs> right in front of me. And I, 
I was eating beef tartar, raw beef. Yeah. In this environment. That makes me a little nervous now. And I'd never <laughs> thought of it until like that moment I'm telling you about it yesterday. And I'm like, this is like not the best setting. And we had gelato again. Of course. That night because Italy. But again, they had the gelato stored away in stainless steel containers where you couldn't see it before mm-hmm. you bought it. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And that again, happened. really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It happened both of the times we had gelato in Florence. Yeah. Well, in the next day... Uh, was a really big day for us, a really full day, because that's when we took our Chianti wine tour. The Chianti wine tour, guys, was this is the big piece of our trip to Florence, was this wine tour that, uh, how did we go about booking this? Uh, we booked it online. So I, there were a few things that I knew like we really, really wanted to do. And um, this was one of them that we we're like, we're going to spend the money we're going to be in Tuscany. We're doing this tour and it's, it's a safari wine tour because they took us out in this big, like kind of army truck, almost like bus, but the seats were really nice and it was air conditioned. And we like walked out and met the rest of the group. There's probably what, 15 people on the tour, yeah, probably something, something like, like that. that. And that's about what this bus would hold. And they took us, all over Tuscany. We went to several wineries and we tried wine and olive oil and had lunch and it was incredible. I mean, we, we like, and we even booked this like six months in advance. Like, yeah, we booked it way far out because we knew the Tuscan like wine scene. We definitely wanted to hit that up. Yeah. I feel like there was a lot of stuff that were like, well, we're going to do this and we can figure it out and we can be flexible about it. But this was one that we were like, no, this is the thing that we really want to do. So we yeah. circled it in advance and, and really went for it and did yeah. it. Um, we went to Villa Le Corti. I think that was the first stop and we got to tour the winery a little bit and they, you know, we saw the vineyards and they took us in where they processed the wine and kind of talked us through the, how it works they have some like stainless steel vats and then they put the wine into barrels some of the wine some of the wine there they age in concrete vats which i I didn't know was a thing but um and then we got to do a tasting there uh the wine was really good we had like a rosé and a chianti classico and uh, a few things like that and some some wine and cheese uh, plates that they had made up, but you got to start meeting friends, making friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got to really start talking to some of the other people on the tour, and it it was a really fun tour. There were a lot of really nice people on it yes. that, that we got to meet and and talk to um, along the way. Um, then we went to, I think it was Localita Rigananana. Rignana. Oh, pretty good, yeah. And um, there we actually did an olive oil tasting. Yes. So they talked to us about olive oil and how they process olive oil. And they took us out to this uh, this little pavilion yeah. set on top of this hill overlooking these vineyards. And you've got vineyards over here and you've got Incredible. olive trees over here. And they uh, had us taste a couple of different olive oils. And it was literally like sipping olive oil out of little cups. Yeah. 
uh, which I was surprised by. I thought that we were going to be like dipping bread in it or something, right. but like we were tasting the straight olive oil so that our tour guide could talk to us about what makes olive oil good and how you really want to look for the extra virgin olive oil and what those different things kind of mean. And he walked us all through that. And then we had lunch there. Like we went back up to kind of the chateau there. And again, is this outdoor table under this awning overlooking this, the beautiful Incredible Tuscan view. countryside. And yeah. they serve us all kinds of pasta and <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And we just sat at this table and had this amazing lunch with, with all this wine and, it was family style just great. where everyone's just kind of passing around these plates, yeah. these dishes and sharing dishes and conversation. And we met couples from Boston and um, I'm trying to think of all the different places. I feel like mostly East Coast people. Yeah, I feel like it was. Um, yeah. But like we got to meet all these different people. And I mean, we by the time it was over with, we were like laughing, sharing crazy stories. <laughs> One guy had met. uh What's the actor? That he had his dog took a picture. He took a picture of his dog. Oh, it was Steve Carell. Steve Carell. Yeah. And we're like, we love Steve Carell. <laughs> it was like such a fun story. And like, we're all sharing these stories. And then the guy that's our tour guide is just the life of the party. Yeah. What a fun guy to be around. Mm -hmm. And so he's just lighting up the other half of the table and just like all this conversation. And they really believe in enjoying your time at the table. And so we got to really enjoy our time the table it wasn't rushed or anything and then you know after a long nice long lunch we get to like hop back in the air-conditioned like jeep it was like this <laughs> huge four by four army jeep that fit a ton of people in it and go off to the next place um which was uh paul Gio torcelli yes yeah I say that right. and like all the time that we're driving through this it's the beautiful Tuscany that you're like driving through in yeah. between place to place and so the countryside is just breathtaking and this villa was amazing yeah I thought that we would just kind of go to like a winery and see another winery which they showed us that part of it there where they processed the wine took us down to the wine barrels and all that but then they took us into the actual villa itself this place was stunning so cool just stunning this long tree line driveway mm -hmm. up to this villa just hundreds of trees and those really tall narrow trees i can't remember the name of them but mm -hmm. like it is exactly what you imagine in fact it reminds me of that scene from gladiator where yes. his home is and he always goes back in his memory to this home with like this long driveway with all these long tall trees and that is a lot what this looked like yeah yeah, it was, it was definitely like that. Perched up on top of this hill and they took us into the the great room of essentially and there were a couple of tables in there and that's where we were where we did our wine tasting for there and it was just it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was so beautiful and the thing that I find most interesting about that place is that it's a home. Somebody yeah. lives there. Yeah, right. Somebody lives there and we they let us in. Yeah. They let us come and like take over their massive formal dining room with these two huge long tables with all of this crazy stemware and all the things. And we got to like sit there again and like learn more about wine. But it's in this 
crazy elegant setting, which is totally different than sitting outside under a pavilion, you know, like that yeah. it was nice, but this is like elegant and you're just like, wow, this is such a different change of pace. And ah, man, I loved it. And we learned a lot along the way. We learned all kinds of things. We'll rattle off some of that information in case you are interested in actually learning about wine. Um, we did learn a lot, which was that vineyards are never planted in a valley. Mm-hmm. And if you guys heard our Bordeaux episode, some of this stuff is kind of similar information. You know, um, stagnant water is a really bad thing. So if you're thinking that you are going to like start a vineyard, then you need to move to like Texas. <laughs> where it's really dry (laughs) and there are parts of texas hill country (laughs) texas it's very dry um that actually if the water is too stagnant it leads to molded grapes that's not good um and that's why you always see vineyards in the hills that's why texas hill country is such a good place for wine basically areas where nothing else will grow (laughs) really yeah yeah okay so we went last year 2022 the year before 2021 was a really hard year for Italy. Not only were they dealing with COVID, which they didn't actually talk that much about, um, but think about it. They were dealing with COVID, yeah. the height of COVID. And while that's all happening, there was a drought that led farmers to lose 30% of their profit. They only take the best of a crop. So if there's not a great crop, there's just less to take. Like yeah. It's not like they're going to use bad crop. And they also aren't allowed to irrigate, irrigate crops. Um, that's really similar. That's all of the Chianti region, and it's really similar to the Bordeaux region um, of France. Yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting, too. I had never considered that, that they wouldn't be allowed to irrigate. Mm-hmm. And that you are completely dependent upon the rainfall for that year. Yeah. And 2021, it's not going to rain much, and there's not anything they can do about it. Like, it's yeah. kind of crazy. And it's like, you don't want too much rain. You can't be in an area with too much rain, but right. also you need enough to grow the crops. Yeah. It's kind of like that balance. But um, the other thing I thought was interesting is I've always been under the assumption that wines are better as they age. Somehow we we heard that, you know? Right. And that that is the case with like champagne. Champagne gets better with age is my understanding, but not necessarily the case with wine. So 2010... 2016, those were considered golden vintage years, um, excellent years for wine, at least European wines mm-hmm. like um, Bordeaux and the Chianti region. And so now I look and I can't ever find that, which is probably because <laughs> they're way too expensive. I have no clue, guys, but I have looked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was interesting to find that like only the really fine wines are the ones that that age really well and so you have to look for the right year and the right vintage if you're going to buy a bottle of wine and hang on to it in hopes that it that it will one day be that much better like you can't just do it with anything yeah it uh, it was it was really interesting to hear all they talked about that and with like the pruning how they like prune it way down where there's only two shoots left um so that all the fruit is basically new there's not like old fruit well, and then um, the skins are added back to give the wine color. So red wine just has more skin on it. Mm-hmm. Like they've included more skin from the grape to make it more red. Interesting fact, Prosecco is the world's most sold wine. Um, grappa is like Italy's 
moonshine <laughs> if you think about it like that it's a really strong it's made from leftovers of from the wine process like the grape skin and stuff like that i thought it was so interesting we learned that the wine barrels are so expensive yeah for a good barrel it's really expensive yeah like 500 to a thousand euros if you buy it brand new and then like a used one you you would just sell it for like a hundred yeah. Like it's not going to make much money at all. Right. So it's like you're spending a ton of money on your barrels alone, um, which would be a really good reason to um, to age your wine in concrete, which is <laughs> actually it's the tradition there is to age their wine in concrete. And it doesn't take away from the flavor. Um, and nobody really wanted concrete vats for a really long time, but they're kind of reverting back to it now, which I thought was really interesting. Um and then they commented that like stainless steel, you know, you've got the stainless steel vats and those actually um, give things a little different flavor. And yeah. So, yeah. The yeah. whole process was so like, so, so interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, and they, you know, they told us all about olive oil on this tour too. Olive trees are found in most vineyards. I know they do. If somebody has a winery, they probably also make olive oil. <laughs> yeah. Which, which was kind of crazy that that you would see both there. I, I would thought it would be there's olive oil people over here yeah. and wine people over here, but they're really like, they, they make a lot of both and, uh, Chianti olive oil, um, is expensive and has a, like a really strong, almost like a grassy kind of flavor to it. And it's a really good high quality. Like there's a little, like a little kind of grassy flavor and a little kind of pepper flavor to it and yeah i remember um, like when we tried it i was like whoa the pepper was like strong yeah yeah and I, I thought that was so interesting you know i've always kind of thought like oh olive oil is olive oil but there's a huge difference and mm -hmm. they let us taste like sort of something that's not very good a middle of the road and then a really good one and it there was a big difference in all yeah. of them yeah. Well, and then they mentioned that like olive trees actually live a really long time, like a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, that's a long time. Um, they did comment that 1985 was the coldest winter that was ever on record. And so a lot of olive trees in the region didn't actually survive didn't that. It. But in general, olive trees can survive a thousand years. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah, pretty crazy. They did give us a little tips for like buying olive oil. Uh, they said unfiltered is not necessarily better. Yeah. And can, like that's just sort of a marketing thing. And mm -hmm. so if you see that, like that's something you can kind of ignore. They said you do want to look for extra virgin olive oil because that has only been pressed once. And yeah. so. And no um, chemicals. Yes. And there's no chemicals added. So. The other stuff, if it's not extra virgin, it's probably the extra virgin has been distracted or extracted and then everything gets pressed again. Sometimes chemicals get added, things like that. And so you really want to look for that label to, to know that it's really good. Yeah. Well, and they also mentioned that like sometimes you might see labels that are intention like are vague and that's like intentional because yeah. lobbyist. And then they also mentioned that olive oil, the co the color of it doesn't, isn't a reflection of the quality of it. Right. Which is fascinating. Yeah. And you would think would not be the case, mm -hmm. but 
they're like, no, it doesn't really matter. That day was like so long for me. I was like, I was literally falling asleep. I mean, I did, I had had some wine as well, but I was like <laughs> so tired and just beat. And I was like asleep on the bus. Like yes. you could see that if you guys should, if you only go watch the video just to see me like snoring on the bus, it's <laughs> worth it. <laughs> I was so tired. Yeah. But there was no real time to rest because we were headed to Naples. Naples and Pompeii. Yeah. Totally amazing. I've known very little about Pompeii in my adulthood until the more recent years. <laughs> and it is this incredible story of a city buried underneath the ash of a volcano. You guys, I don't know why Americans don't know more about this, but it's incredible. It really was, it really was something else. What are some other things that we didn't do that you would recommend for people? Um, I think going into more of the museums, like the Academia Gallery, where the real Statue of David was, we mentioned that. Yes. Like we tried to go, we couldn't get tickets. Uh, same with the Ufuzi Gallery, like amazing things to see. We tried to go, couldn't get tickets. Yeah. Uh, so I would definitely recommend that. Um, going up in the the dome of the Duomo, mm -hmm. um, I think would also be really interesting that we didn't actually get to do. Um, yeah. It's an amazing, amazing city. And we are going to let you go on about your day as we head off to Naples on Pompeii. If you want to see more from our time uh, in Florence, you can do that by following us on social media. We're all the places, uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and then of course our YouTube channel where we have a video out where we kind of walk you through some of the stuff that we did and you can see for yourself um, the gelato that we eat and uh, the scenes that we saw. So you want to go uh, check that out and make sure you subscribe and follow in all those places to get all the stuff as it as it releases and comes out. Okay, so we know that Florence is really well-traveled. So you may have been there yourself. And if that is the case, you should absolutely send us your stories so we can share that in a future podcast episode. We love, love, love being able to do that. Um, you can email us at travelfomo, F-O-M-O, podcast at gmail.com. Um, we would just, it's an opportunity for us to tell your stories and to also better educate people than we may be doing because, <laughs> you know, we're just telling our stories. We're sharing the facts that we know, but we know that you have experienced your own travel adventures and have learned your own details. So share that with the world. Send us an email. You can just text you know all that information to us in an email just type it all up or you can record a voice memo and hear your own voice on the podcast and really share your energy with us we love to hear from you guys and it doesn't matter if it's a good story or a bad story that you'd rather forget or a hilarious story we are up for it all so yeah send, send it, it our way. send it our way we're excited to hear absolutely okay guys have a wonderful day because life is short drink the wine <laughs>